Y'all remember that time when Scarlett Johansson played a Japanese character in a movie called Ghost in the Shell? This is Major. I'm on site. The film was adapted from a Japanese manga, and ScarJo played the role of a cybernetic human. And y'all know Johansson is not Asian at all. What about when Johnny Depp played the role of a Native American figure in the film The Lone Ranger? Don't ever do that again. As decent of an actor as Depp can be, was he appropriate for the role? Or what about when Jake Gyllenhaal played a Middle Eastern character in Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time? Brave soldiers of Persia, we have been deceived into attacking this holy city. Alamut has no weapon forges. Dustan, have you gone mad? I cannot stand silent in the face of treachery. This war was set up by one trusted above all else. I'm pretty sure these filmmakers could have found an actor of Middle Eastern descent who would have been more suited for the role. And trust me, y'all, them talented brown actors, they out there. These are just some of the very common and consistent mistakes in Hollywood when it comes to casting choices. As a half-Dominican and half-Colombian-American actor, I have not run into many roles that reflect my own cultural identity. For the most part, I've played the stereotype of what a brown man represents in the eyes of Hollywood execs. I have played it all. Line cooks, drug dealers, bag boys, criminals... Fancy criminals who like drive Bentleys and whatnot, but still, criminals nonetheless. And trust me on this one, y'all, I am not alone. Today we're talking to my friend Gracie Mercedes from Grand Crew about being cast in an all-black comedy and how she rarely ever gets casted as who she is, an Afro-Latina. We're also going to talk to a Mexican-American casting director, Victor Vasquez, about why it is so important to see ourselves reflected on more creative projects, and how that representation can't be monolithic. My name is Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. And to all my casting and executives out there, hit me up, DC, Marvel, I'm ready. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Hey, Fidelity. Can I get a second opinion on stocks in the Fidelity app? With Fidelity, it's easy to get an outside opinion from independent experts in a single score. And then... When you're ready, trade U.S. stocks and ETFs with no commissions. That's right. I am always right. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. My girl Gracie Mercedes is a proud Dominican. You may remember listening to her in a previous episode of my podcast called Ruby Rosa, 
which lives in this very feed, all you have to do is scroll down to find all fantastic 10 episodes. Gracie was born and raised in New York City, like myself. She's a writer, filmmaker, and podcast host. Yes, we have a lot in common. She moved to L.A. to become an actress more than 10 years ago when she was 27. How do you think people read your race or ethnicity when they meet you? Well, it depends on what coast I'm on. Oh, tell me more. (laughs) Well, in New York, people, I think, assume that I am Dominican or some kind of Latina because, you know, most of us look like me on the East Coast or or some version of me. Whereas out here in LA, people usually think I'm biracial and they think, you know, I have an African-American parent and a a Caucasian parent. Um, No one ever assumes I'm Latina in, in LA because the Latinas look a little different out here. They are come from different places. They, they're not really island Latinas, and so they don't have that, like, Afro influence. Um, yeah, so it's usually one of those two things. Uh, what about in the middle of the country? I don't go to the middle of the country. <laughs> no, I would assume in the middle of the country I'm just black. I mean, I'm just black anywhere. I'm, I'm black. But I think, you know, I think in the cities on the East Coast versus the West Coast, that that's the, the difference. All right, so here's that tricky uh, possible question and kind of annoying. How do you identify yourself? Growing up, I was told constantly that I'm Dominican. You're Dominican, you're Dominican, you're Dominican. By who? By my family. Um, And then, you know, in school, my schools were mostly mixed, um, pretty pretty mixed. Um, I think you're seen as either the Spanish girl which is what they would say back then. Um, I did. I definitely had like black girls be like, "You're not really black. You're you're Spanish." I had Spanish girls be like, "You're not really Spanish. You're black." <laughs> I had white girls who just didn't know or care what I was. Um, I now identify as either Dominican American, Afro Latina, or just black and Latin. Um, I think I'm definitely embracing both now, but I I feel like that was a journey for me because, like I said, growing up, I, it was a little confusing because people would be like, no, you're Dominican, and not want to accept that we are Black or I am Black. Um, and now, you know, the word Afro-Latina is a thing. That wasn't really a thing. Yeah, when did you first hear it? I don't know when I first heard it, but I will say that I didn't start learning about like the African the African diaspora and and the history of Dominican Republic until probably college. So it was then where I was like, oh, I can be black and Latina. I can be black and Dominican American. Um, but I feel like Afro Latinx or Latino or Latina is much newer, or at least used um, has been used a lot more in recent time. I think it's just even entering my vocabulary as of yeah the last however many years because yeah. when i was a kid i it my parents i don't even i don't know i had never probably had this conversation with my parents but I think I would often describe myself as a little kid as be like, I'm Spanish. Mm-hmm. We all said Spanish back yeah. then, yeah. And and it wasn't a problem, but now it's, you know, clearly from Spain. Uh-huh. So it's definitely a problem uh-huh. if you from Spain, you know. Um, but I remember that being a thing. And I think maybe maybe Latino, that whole thing. That's also recent. Late, was yeah. recent yeah. and later. And then Afro, like, I think I even learned about other diasporas and other, you know, just just migration. Mm-hmm. Migration was such a late learning thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even think my parents 
had the wherewithal to be able to explain it well. Like when we would go to a Chino Dominicano restaurant, like <laughs> some Chinese dude who's like speaks uh-huh. better Spanish than I do uh-huh. and cooks up like maduro and oh, fried rice, you yes. know. And, and um, fried chicken wings. Yeah. Like, and they didn't, I don't think I even questioned it. Maybe that's a growing up in New York thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's just whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah it's, it's, it's well, you just are so exposed every single day to so many kinds of people, right? from so many different places, and only New York has that experience. Even cities like L.A. that are big and and have some diversity, like, it's not in your face every single day like it is in New York. So you don't really think about it. I've never thought so much about race and ethnicity until I moved to Los Angeles. Mm. And also I work in entertainment, and it's constantly, you know, a question of, like, who, who are you, what do you represent, what do you look like kind of thing. I think it was entertainment for me. I think it was the fact that it took, like, three different agents to not understand that I you know, to understand that I wasn't Mexican. Like that's, yep. you know, that's wild. Yeah. Um, One of my good friends is Carlos Santos and he is Puerto Rican from New York and only plays Mexican. Yeah. Only. Like they will never cast him as, as Puerto Rican and it's wild. But yeah, it's, you know, the Hollywood way. They're, they're learning slowly. Very, very slowly. slowly. <laughs> See, I knew I wasn't alone here. Hollywood has this one perception of what every brown person looks like. Making it out here in Hollywood is pretty tough for almost everyone, especially when you are a person of color. We gotta grind extra hard. In 2021, Gracie sent out mad audition tapes for acting roles, but she wasn't getting any callbacks. Until she auditioned for... So this audition comes in... And it's like, Faye, from New York, check. Going through a divorce, check. <laughs> Dry sense of humor, check. Um, former dancer. I'm not a former dancer, but I do love dance. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is me. Gracie snagged the role of Faye in a show on NBC called Grand Crew. It's a show about a crew, a group of friends living, loving wine and working in L.A. Gracie is even getting to work with some of her real life friends, like actor Echo Kellum. And then Echo Kellum's on the show, and I know Echo from my improv days. And so I hit him up, and I was like, tell me everything about this show. Like, I'm, I have a self-tape. He didn't even know they were casting. They were they were casting another series regular. So he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And so I read through the scenes with him, and he was like, you know what? You're killing it. And I just thought, oh, he's being nice because he's my friend. He's not going to tell me that I suck. Um, and then I, t- I taped it later with another friend. And, you know, after two weeks of you know, callbacks and chemistry reads and testing, I found out I got it and I just was crying. I was with my friends at a bar when it happened, when I got the call. So I actually have it on tape, posted it to my Instagram um, because it was such an emotional thing for me. I've been acting for 13 years, and this was my first series regular, my first, like, big job. Um, And it's been an absolute dream. And the cool thing is they cast me, and now they know I'm Dominican. And I had that conversation with our showrunner. I was like, so, 
you know, it's a half-hour comedy on network television. We're not really talking about, like, our ethnicities and race too much because the show is an all-black cast. And what I love about the show is that we're not just going around saying, like, hey, we're black, hey, we're black, hey, we're black. It's just, like, six friends and going through life. And, yes, we happen to be black. Um, and so Phil and I talked about it, and I was like, well— I am Afro-Latina. Can Faye be Afro-Latina? He goes, you know, actually, we were just talking about that in the writer's room, and we think she should be, and we think that's that's dope, and we can explore that. You know, we won't really probably hit on it first season. It's 10 episodes. We only have so much time to do so much exploring of our characters. But if and when, knock on wood, we get a second season, um, we would love to explore that more. Tight. What's it like being on a set with uh, an all-black cast? Oh, it's been amazing. Um, it's been great. My ca- The cast is, like, so fun and funny, and everyone on it is so freaking talented. And our crew was crazy diverse, and so many women, and, and, and oh, it's just, it was literally a dream. Like, we had the most amazing um, three and a half months of shooting, and I feel really, really happy to be on the show. Is there that shared intimacy or shared knowledge of just being a bunch of bodies of color in a room together? Absolutely. And, you know, there is there is also a difference. There's also a difference in that I'm the only Latin person in the cast and everyone else is African-American. Um, and, and that's great, too. Like, it's just nice to be able to be who I am and not have to play something that I'm not. Um, but also... To be an all-black cast is like, yeah, that's just an understanding. They're like, you know, our, I don't have to worry about my hair and makeup getting done because Phil made sure that we had women who know how to deal with my kind of hair um, and my skin complexion. That's my, a real deal, y'all. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a real thing. You know. Yes, this is a real thing. I have gone through this on sets myself. Don't worry. I'll drop some stories about that in another episode. In your acting career, have you played more Latina characters or black characters? I've never played a Latina character. Oh, wow. I've never played a Latina character. I've only auditioned for one Dominican part in my whole career. Does it feel like a big deal to you? Did it not feel like a big deal? Have you thought about it? Did you think about it? What? Not not auditioning. I've always thought about it, yeah. Um, Anything I went out for was either they were looking either for a black woman or like an African-American woman or a mixed girl, like biracial or ethnically ambiguous, like we don't care what you are. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. I think people are starting to talk about it. I think In the Heights came out and that, you know, put 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 some light on, on that whole topic. But, you know, there are so many actors out there in the same boat, like that – Well, does it also speak to the lack of storytelling around Mm -hmm. brownness, you know, like also around the Latin experience? Yeah, I mean, I... (laughs) Besides Mexican, which I think is pretty well presented. Mexican, Cuban. It's a hard thing to talk about, right? Because I feel like I get really frustrated when I was writing more and developing more with the Latin space in Hollywood right now. Because... There are some women who are doing incredible things. They are all white Latinas. They are all telling a similar white Latina story or white Latinx story, I should say. And that to me is frustrating 
Because what I would love for them to do is to produce more content that explores the indigenous Latinx people, the African, you know, Afro-Latinx people out there. Um, and instead of we keep seeing the same stories of the, like, Cuban immigrant family or the Mexican family or the Mexican immigrant family. And I'm just like, can we just break away from, like, we, I love that we are doing anything. <laughs> I love that Latinx representation is happening at all. But can we diversify the Latinx representation? Um, can people be brown and black and not always fair? Can we just have a Latinx cast and it's not about them being Latinx? Like, I just want more diversity and I just want more representation for for people like me, for people like you, for, you know, anything that's other. And I, I don't think it's happening enough yet. I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it again. Brownness and its beautiful brown cultures are not a monolith. We each have our own beautiful cultures that should be explored and told. But hey, here's some good news. If y'all want to see my friend Gracie Mercedes kill it on screen, check out Grand Crew. It did get picked up for a second season, and it premieres Friday, March 3rd on NBC. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from casting director Victor Vasquez about why it is so important who tells these stories on small and big screens. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975, to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Here's a little bit of actor life insight, y'all. I have to send out a lot of what we call self-tapes. These are basically audition videos recorded on my own that I send out when there's a casting call for a role on a television series, film, or even commercial. And our next guest is someone who gets and combs through and watches all of these self-tapes all the time for work. Hey everyone, my name is Victor Vasquez, he, him pronouns. I'm originally from Los Angeles, now I live in New York City. I'm the founder of X Casting, and uh, I'm a casting director. Casting directors play an essential role in any creative project. And we don't hear much from them on screen, but they are one of the very first people to see actors when they're going out for a role. This could be your only first impression, and you got to make it a good one to get the job. And so I asked Victor to critique my go-to self-tape intro. 
I say, hey, my name is Christopher Rivas, and I am six feet, and I live in Los Angeles. How did I do on my slate? Say one more time. <laughs> hey, y'all, my name is Christopher Rivas. I'm six feet, and I live in Los Angeles. That's great. Why? Because it's simple, and it's you. Like, there's, there's a natural essence to it. Sometimes I throw in a wink. Oh, when you do a video? Sometimes. Sometimes I do one of these. That's good. I do all different things. That's great. What is a casting director? So I think I want to start off by saying that I didn't know what that was either. I think um, I think that there's a lot of mystery to what a casting director is and does. But to me, at a, it's bare like essence, a casting director is a curator. To me, the casting director is a person that's helping facilitate a process of engaging actors, right, into the project, into the story, into the world. Was there a film, television show, piece of theater, something that inspired you to become a curator? I think the the thing that inspired me to get into theater first, because I wasn't, I didn't grow up around the arts. My parents, I, I'm one of four boys, and my parents, as immigrants, were like, we're just going to put you all in sports. So we played sports nonstop. Like what sports? Soccer, football, hockey, tennis, swimming. Wow. Nonstop, every season, you would end one season, go straight into the other. I was always in practice, always, always, always. Like, I didn't know what a day off was, like, for 12 years because it was school and sports. Was this to keep you busy or because they were like, you're going to be our ticket? Keep you off the streets. But for me, it was uh, sports and school. And, uh, And then when I was 17, 18, I had a crush on this boy in high school. And he had a free ticket through his church to see The Lion King at the Pantages Theater in L.A. And I had no idea what he was inviting me to. But all I knew was that I would be able to sit next to him. And I was like, down, let's go. So I got in the church van and I went to this show. I've never been to a show. I've never seen a play or musical or anything like that. And I fell in love. Like, I had this book in front of me, which they called the program. And I opened it up and I was like, who made this? And like, I literally remember the visceral feeling of getting home and like swinging the van door open, like the slide door, right? Like, you know, the slide and just like running home, dialing up on AOL with the modem, (laughs) right? And searching who is Julie Tamor (laughs) and being like, who is she? How does she do this? Like, what is this, right? Like, who? what is a director? How do people make this? Can you have this as a job? I had no idea what that world was like. Y'all, I've never seen Lion King. I know. I've only seen it that one time. I've never seen it. I don't think I want to see it again because I don't want to ruin that experience, you know? I just saw Into the Woods last night. We, yeah. It was my first time ever seeing it. What'd you think? I had very visceral reactions still. I still love that I get to be a kid in the theater. Victor made his dream into a reality, and today he is running his own casting company. It's really hard to transition into that role. 
in general, right? Because first of all, it's really hard to get into casting, period, because there is no teaching, right? You don't go to school for it. You don't like major in it. You don't like study it really. And there aren't very many like support programs for that kind of work, right? Not like writers or directors or et cetera, right? Even producers. So it feels very secretive. And the only way in is if somebody takes you in as an assistant. And it's, um, I like feel responsible in a big way because I feel like uh, there's a lot of new practices that we have yet to uncover, right? And Such as? Well, like, uh, let me let me get into my data then. <laughs> data time. So for everybody listening, um, I I was just telling Chris that I really love data because for me it's it boils down to this quote from Brene Brown. She says, "In the absence of data, we will always make up stories." So I don't want to make up stories. I want to look at the data. So like for me, one of the things that I really am conscious of is our demographics as a country, right? So recently, uh, this was from a economic policy uh, institute report, right? Um, people of color will be a majority of the American working class in 2032. So I think about that a lot, and I think about the responsibility that we have to reflect not just what this country looks like, but the workforce. We as media makers or we as casting people or both? We in general collectively because i think that there's a we a collective imagination here that we're all responsible for right and casting we have a part of that but as writers writers have a part of that directors have a part of that producers have a part of that right people who hire people have a part of that and for me it's really what is the imagination that we're reflecting i think about imagination all the time when it comes to casting it's like central to the way i think about this work because I'm sure, like, like I'm curious, like, for you, when is it that you saw yourself reflected? Oh, John Leguizamo's freak. There you go. Yeah. Right? And what was that like, that experience for you? That's the reason we're in this studio. It's the reason I wrote a book. It's the reason I became an actor. It's the, yeah. Why do you think that happened? Like, what was the reason there? Uh, it's because I saw a room full of white people uh, laughing, crying, loving, listening, hearts open, uh, to a man who looked like me was from Queens, half Colombian, like half of me. Uh, yeah. Right. And that's powerful. Yeah. Because I really think it goes back to the origins of storytelling. Like for me, the origins of storytelling are humans around a fire telling stories of survival. Don't go 100 feet that way because there's a cliff beyond the bush that you'll fall off of. Right. That becomes a story, right? Don't eat these berries because X, Y, Z will happen, right? Wisdom. There's a ton of wisdom in all these stories of survival that are being told around the fire. And those stories for me are part of our DNA. This is why we survive, right? And when we see ourselves reflected in story, I really believe that it gives us some sort of sustainable life force to like imagine ourselves in the future. Like I tell people, I'm like, look, I, uh, I was born in Compton. I grew up in South Central LA. I went to school like 99% people of color. That was my entire experience. 
lots of languages spoken, lots of different cultures. Um, I didn't understand or know whiteness in terms of like Anglo-ness, in terms of um, American whiteness. When I read a script, I'm imagining the world I grew up in. It is majority POC. It's like, it's everywhere. It's the lawyer, it's the barbershop, it's the marqueta, it's the city hall. Everything around me was like in LA, right? Like just booming with people of all walks of life. And when I see other people and like I see their projects or I see who they typically cast, I'm like, oh, there's your world is at play. How you see the world is at play. I get it. Y'all, I grew up in Queens where I can find the best Indian food, the best Dominican barbershop, delicious Colombian pastries, Italian ices, the most crowded Mexican taco truck, because that is what I was exposed to, living in one of the most diverse places in the world. So it really pisses me off when Hollywood acts like there's only one type of brown perspective, one brown complexion, hell, one brown voice even. Before he left the studio, Victor told me about this one moment when he got to hear that diversity and have a role in making sure it came through. When I was casting this episodic podcast with majority Latine talent, I, uh, I bought some really nice headphones because instead of watching self-tapes, I was listening to audio only, right? Because when you submit for an audio project, there's no video. You're just listening to the voices. I'm seeing their pictures, right, because they're headshot. But I have a video on my phone where, like, I, I just turned the camera on to me because I was crying. Because I was, it was like two in the morning. I had already listened to, like, over a hundred audio clips of different submissions. And I was crying because I was hearing diasporic Latine voices. And I felt so blessed to, like, be thinking about specificity. You know, that like somebody who is Mexican can play a Mexican character or role. Somebody who's Venezuelan can play somebody who's Venezuelan, right? Somebody who is Ecuadorian, right? Because there are dozens of nations in Latin America, right? Like it's like, and language is so different and heritage is so different and we are vastly different from one another. Hollywood, like America, has come a long way. But it still has so much to learn. It has so many flaws. We need more bodies of culture in front and behind the camera. We need to cast more bodies of culture. We need more bodies of culture signing the checks, not just receiving them. More folks like Victor behind the scenes, able to make decisions about creative projects. Next time on Brown Enough, y'all, we are talking all things love. It is juicy. We're going to revisit an episode of Ruby Rosa, and you'll even hear more from Gracie, who gets very personal about her love life. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Peace. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producers Manolo Morales, senior producer Abigail Keel, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabriella Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. 
Original music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Brendan Burns and Abby Aguilar. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. Thanks. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.